It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Except you don't have Boyd today. You have me, Leah Murray, and my good friend Greg Scordis. We are subbing for Boyd on his show. So, Greg. Big shoes to fill. The, oh, my goodness. We can't even fill them. Right. We are just walking right. around barefoot in his room. All right. So, Greg, down in Utah County, um, by, there is a death sentence case, and it's from like 1985. So, this predates. Like, I was not here. Right? Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> I, I was. I was really young. <laughs> right. yeah, so, I was um, an attorney. Yeah, you were already working on this case, maybe. So um, so the so talk to us. What is this? What's happening? What is this death sentence that was from 1985, and why is it being overturned? Okay, so first of all, I wasn't involved in the case, so <laughs> I think I can talk freely about it. But okay, uh, Douglas Stewart Carter was convicted of a killing of a woman named Ava Olison. In 1985, I think the homicide occurred in 1984, he, there were several witnesses that testified against him, including uh, the Tovars, Epifanio and Lucia Tovar, who testified that he bragged about the killing. Police officers also claimed that he confessed to the killing, but there really wasn't any physical evidence. There wasn't anything that – there wasn't DNA or fingerprints or blood spatter or, you know, bullet fragments or something like that. So it was really a based almost exclusively on their testimony. So he appealed, as everybody does, he was placed on death row uh, and he appealed his uh, sentence first in 1992. The Supreme Court said, get out of here. They had another appeal in 2019 and the Utah Supreme Court said that there have been, quote, damning revelations about the conduct of police and prosecutors, which could have affected his conviction and his sentencing, they sent the case back to the district court. And now we have a different judge, of course, that, it, it, you know, 45 years later. And he heard evidence and he ruled, this judge, uh, just a couple weeks ago, that the conviction should be set aside because police and prosecutors withheld evidence. Okay, so can you talk to us? So I was reading this article, right? Um, and it says that the person who is murdered was the aunt of the Provo police chief. So part of me feels like the minute the Provo police are investigating a family member's death, I, I, wouldn't that automatically be out of bounds? Or is that... You would think that but they would... But that's not the misconduct the court is talking about. No, but okay. but you're right. That could That could have related or could have been a cause of some of the misconduct. Sure, because the Provo Police Department is actually under the gun for this case. And apparently they paid uh, these two witnesses who testified against him. And one of the witnesses testified that he'd been paid something like $14 when it turns out he was paid thousands of dollars toward food, toward rent, uh, toward utilities, uh, Christmas presents for his kids. I mean, these people didn't get $14. They got a lot of money. No, and the other issue too, just to be clear... Um, Lucia Tovar told in this article said that a police officer, she told the police officer that she feared deportation and that the Provo police officer told her, as long as you're working with us, it won't happen. Right. So it's not just money. Like, I want to be clear. I think they were afraid. Right. And so there was 
pressure being put on them, you know, that's not just, you know, give me some cash, but like I'm afraid for, I don't want to be sent away, right? And to compound the problem, Leah, and I was a prosecutor for eight years and, and this type of conduct or misconduct doesn't happen, but the judge found that the prosecutors knew about this misconduct, that the prosecutor assigned to the case was aware of these uh, payoffs, aware of these uh, coercive statements, aware that even uh, Carter's own confession may have been coerced and didn't disclose that to the defense. I mean, that's that's just black letter law. I mean, that's the first thing you learn in, in criminal law, uh, no matter what side you're on. And you don't want to be the prosecutor that's the cause of a death penalty case to be flipped over on its head, which is what happened here. All right. So, Greg, real quick. So you were a prosecutor. What happens... So of you, because I know that you're honorable, so this would not happen with you. But like, so you hear something like this, what should the prosecutors have done? Well, you have to disclose it. I mean, the prosecutor has... Oh, I hear you. So under, like in the trial, the, they would have had to say... Well, they to, have No, no. They have to disclose it to the defense attorneys as soon as they become aware of it. Oh, I hear you. It's, okay. it's exculpatory. It's something okay. that the prosecutor has... Um, there's an old case called Brady versus Maryland, where the United States Supreme Court said the prosecution has an affirmative obligation to disclose exculpatory evidence uh, to the defense. So if they have information, if a prosecutor learns something uh, from their police officers, from something else that could be helpful for the defense, you have to disclose that. It's it's the way we do things in America. I mean, the defense doesn't have the, the alternate uh, obligation to disclose what you have from your client. That's protected. But the prosecution doesn't have a client. They're Theoretically, the their client is the state of Utah, right, the people right. of Utah County. So they have to disclose that. And this prosecutor apparently didn't. OK, so our attorney general is planning to appeal this decision. Um, why? Like, I mean, it seems to me so obviously that something happened wrong here. So why is Attorney General Reyes moving in that direction of appealing? Is that just something you always do when you're the top, you know, like? They're, they're sort of relying on two words. He confessed. And okay. so they're saying, okay. notwithstanding what these what happened, what what these people did, the coercive uh, testimony, whatever, Carter confessed to this crime. So what else do you need? I mean, I can tell you this as a former prosecutor: there's no more compelling piece of evidence you can get than a confession. It's better than an eyewitness. It's better than a videotape. It's better than a, a, a you know DNA. A confession is the single, at least for me as a prosecutor, the single strongest piece of evidence you could have at trial. And they had that here, allegedly. Now, Carter has, has claimed that his confession was coerced and that that played a little bit into the judge's decision to to turn this over and and the attorney generals are going to have some work to do there but they're claiming that hey he confessed what else do you want gotcha all right so let's talk about it it's a death penalty case so greg i'll just be honest with you and i'll say i have some feelings about the death penalty i tend to be opposed to it um but i also think this is and my i'm just out of bounds opposed to it right you're just not supposed to you know kill people so but um on this case this seems to be the reason why a lot of people are opposed to it right exactly. so i might think it's a good idea to use the death penalty like it seems to be a powerful deterrent maybe or it's a powerful law enforcement tool except that wow this person would have been put to death and maybe he didn't do it and it's been 40 years, and what if we moved more quickly? You know, like what conversations should we be having about the death penalty that this kind of case brings up? Yeah, and ironically, this happened in Utah County, where the former Utah right. County attorney who lost his reelection, David Levitt, 
made it clear that he was not in favor of the death penalty. And, and if you recall, Lee, he, he took some heat from the family of those kids that were killed and thrown down the, the shaft. And it was a, clearly a, fit, the, fit the parameters of a death penalty case because there were multiple homicides. But he said, we're not going to seek the death penalty in this case. And he took some heat for that. In fact, lost his reelection bid, maybe because of that or maybe in part because of that. But I digress a little bit. This is a case, this is an example of had the death penalty been executed in the 40 years since the crime occurred, and we now learned these, quote, damning res- revelations that the Supreme Court said, we'd all be looking like, what happened? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and I mean, I think for me, it's just you're just not supposed to do it. But that's also it. Um, if people are alive and it's 40 years later, accessories to crimes, right, you could learn more information, right? I always kind of think when you move quickly to a death penalty, you might not get all the information, right, that the state needs – and this is this is a good example Lee, of why we allow appeals. Why there aren't really? I mean, some people are like, "Well, why don't we just you get one appeal and you're done?" Right. Um, this this man exercised several appeals. Now, it's important also to note for our listeners that he's still in prison. Uh, that the the judge didn't release him. He simply said the conviction is going to be set aside. He gave the attorney general's office five days to to notify the court, whether they were going to appeal. And they have given that notification. They haven't formally filed the appeal. But in the meantime, it seems that Carter is going to remain in the Utah State Prison until this is sorted out. Now, we'll see. We'll see if that actually occurs. So tell me, that means it's not that they've overturned the result of the trial. They've just said the sentencing phase is overturned? Oh, no. He he set aside the whole trial. That's why a lot of people are wondering... Why is he still in jail? Why is he still in jail? Okay, right. I gotcha. Can you tell us, Greg, as the legal analyst, the brilliant mind about this, how often is it the case that this happens where someone is wrongfully convicted? Oh, good heavens, don't ask me that. <laughs> but, but in a case like this, it's pretty rare. I mean, it, it's very rare. It's a, it's a one in a hundred, maybe, right. maybe more than that. We will let you off the hook. <laughs> Coming up after the break, we're going to have a conversation about China. Lots of interesting protests happening there. Come back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.